Hey guys, you're listening to the Energy of the Untamed Heart podcast, where we talk about uncaging your divinely gifted wild heart to be as free and expansive as you were born to be. My goal is to use our stories, guest interviews, and your questions to tease out what has been keeping your wild heart under wraps. I'm your host, Miel Fox, and together we will shatter the myths of our old stories to set our wild heart free. So thanks for choosing you and showing up today. You know, I think we're all familiar with the changes that our younger teens and young children have experienced since the pandemic and the changes and shifts that they've had to undergo with schools being either virtual or back and forth within class and then in class and the stressors of social pressure and social media. So today's talk is... An important one. It's a discussion about how can we counsel our young people and our teens to give them the tools that they need to navigate life. So my guest today is Carrie Cooper. She's the owner of Carrie Cooper Holistic Therapy in northern New Jersey. This is exactly what she brings to her clients, brings to her kids that she works with. She takes a holistic approach to therapy, looking at the whole person, not just the symptoms. She's written a couple of books. Her most important book she's written recently is called Mental Health Uncensored. It's a 10 foundations that every parent needs to know. It's a book that's been written to design to give parents steps on how to improve their child's mental health, to give them tools to navigate social difficulties, social pressures. Her second book that she's authored is a workbook for teens, also called Mental Health Uncensored, 10 Foundations Every Teen Needs to Know. She's a speaker and a writer who helps to educate teens and parents on the topics that are faced in everyday life. She's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and continues to further her education by obtaining additional certifications in her field. When Carrie isn't busy working with teens, she's busy with her own four children and her flock of chickens. This is a girl right after my own heart, right? So I am very eager to dive right into this conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, and I will give you all of the details in the show notes for how you can get further support for yourself or for your kids with Carrie. So here we go. And I really want to talk about your book, and I want to talk about some of the things that you see or feel have altered or changed from when you started on, on your journey, working with teens and parents and, (laughs) and the shift, as we all know, that has occurred secondary to things like a pandemic, homeschooling, people not getting out in the world, all of that. So before I start like getting way ahead of myself, we'll just start at the beginning. So kind of give me a, you look way too young to have done all the things that you've done in your life. So I'm like, wow, she must have like started I'm in the third grade. I'm 45. Monday's my uh, birthday. Well, happy 45. birthday. Thank you. Yes. I'm so excited. The 40s well, 45 has been really kind to you. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I just love my 40s. It's been yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's so funny because the 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 younger generation are like, oh my God, I'm going to be 30. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Just wait. 40 is going to be really good. It's like the yeah, decade amazing. where you're sort of past all the crazy and the, oh my gosh, and I got to perform for everybody. And you kind of start to figure out like, oh, I can actually like kind of, you know, get in the cruise lane and just do the thing for a little while before the next thing comes along. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm loving it. It is. Oh, well, good. Love it. So how did you start in all this? How did this, how did this come about? How did this whole world happen for me? Yeah. It was really like back in high school. Like I had a lot of friends who struggled and there was no adults to really talk to without feeling like judged. And listen, kids, their brains are not fully developed. They're going to do stupid things. They just are. 
that's okay. But it's about having a place for them where there's no judgment and you're able to help guide them into doing better things. So I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that person. So I went to college. I went to graduate school, very traditional, worked always with children and adolescents and really dived in right into crisis mode. I worked residentials. I worked group homes, kids, you know, who were hospitalized seven to 10 times on laundry lists of medications, like that's where I was. And I was like, these kids have like group therapy, individual therapy, meds, family therapy. They're getting better, but like, not really. Like, what are we missing? And that's when I discovered this whole other like holistic world. And I was like, oh, we need to like blend this together. It's not just about like, what are your symptoms? And like, let's do some therapy and medication. It's, it's so much bigger if you want to really fix it. It's what are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you seeing the light of day? All of that contributes to our mental health. And I say it's like a house. If you're building it up on a weak foundation, any stressor is going to knock over that house. If it's standing on a strong foundation, it could weather the storm. So that's, I incorporated all of that together and then had my private practice. And that's what I've been doing. Well, you are the port in the storm. So I'm a little older than you. In my day in school, there really was no anything, just as you're describing there. So not only was there really no guidance, but there were a lot of other things. So, you know, obviously as teenagers, there's so many stressors. Just being the teenager and going through the anatomical physiologic changes that a human body experiences as it goes from one stage to the next stage, sure. But then you throw on all the social issues and all the societal programming issues and all the home issues and emotional coping skills or lack thereof issues. And then what's considered okay and not okay in society. Are you being judged as there's something right or wrong with you? Back in the day, dare I say, your resource that you had available was like the school nurse or the guidance counselor. And those poor souls (laughs) God bless them. But those poor souls were literally playing all the roles. Like they were the career counselor. They were your social therapist. They were your extra parent when your parents weren't available. Uh, But yet they weren't really the port in the storm because they were an adult. So therefore you couldn't really trust them. Um, At the time when I was a teen, things were, it was commonplace to sweep under the rug. So you may have had like a hellhole family life, which by the way, I did, Mm -hmm. but you didn't bring that publicly. That was a behind closed door event. You shoved it it all down. down. You didn't talk about it. You didn't express it. And I can recall even in, I want to say it was maybe as a freshman in high school and you know how it is in school. And I'm sure it's the same way now is there's always the little groups like the athletes and the drama kids and the music kids and the kids who are kind of stepping out of the box and all the things. And I can recall very vividly in high school that a couple of my school colleagues, two of them took their lives, secondary to stressors, secondary to obviously emotional burdens and stressors and expectations. And both of these individuals were like class valedictorian, most popular kid in the class. And at the time, not really understanding any of it then, other than, oh my gosh, I thought to myself, well, something's not making sense to me. How can they be top of the class or how can they be most favored person in whatever? And yet they're so 
bogged down that they feel there's no out. And so when I found you, <laughs> it's so funny. I've been searching for you forever. And when I found you, I'm like, oh, thank God. Here's this person who can come on and shed some light here for people who are either adults of younger teens, or we may have teen listeners because everybody's got social media. Everybody's got a telephone now or a telephone. Listen to me, a cell phone, a mobile, excuse me. You know, everybody's on social media. So I decided to use this podcast platform as an opportunity to bring a message forward. Not, not just for the adults. I imagine the majority of the listeners are probably adults, but I think our teens are advanced enough in what they're doing that they're probably able to dig and search out quite a bit that we didn't. We didn't. Mm -hmm. Why? We, did, we didn't even have computers, let alone cell phones. We didn't have the World Wide Web, you know, and we had societal burdens of you don't talk about it. So I'm curious, after school, and then you dug right into clinical work you know, or, you know, clinical type practice and then made the shift. Do you feel that there was a hmm, like an, a big pivotal moment where the things that have been present all this time have are still there, but now they're seen more, they're more open, they're more public because of our advances in technology, communication, telecommunication, all the things. Yeah. So when I started my practice, well, when I started being a therapist, what I would re really see were kids with behavioral problems, quote unquote, behavioral problems and attention problems. And every once in a while, some depression and anxiety. Then let's introduce social media. Almost 99% of the people I see are anxiety. Anxiety has taken over these kids. I have never seen it this bad. I mean, it was bad before we hit COVID and anyone hanging on by a thread. I mean, forget it. COVID pushed you over. So now, I mean, it is just, it, we are in a mental health crisis and I'm not sure if adults are truly understanding that we are in an absolute crisis. These kids have so much anxiety, so much social pressure. It is not like when we grew up. You know, because I get parents in my office a lot being like, well, I went through high school. You didn't go through high school with your every move being filmed. You didn't go through high school with the ability of someone to post about you or to post a bad picture of you. You didn't go through that. You know, you didn't go through seeing, you know, especially at certain times of the year, everybody posting where they just got into college. And you're expected to. And now it's like, but I didn't get into a place I really wanted. Like, there's so much pressure that we are not realizing as adults. And it's absolutely at a crisis level. And you know, you talked about when you went through school and those valedictorians and the people that were like the most well-liked committing suicide, that has not changed. It is still sometimes those people that are just stuffing it all down and then finally feeling like they can't take it anymore. And as adults, we are missing this. We are completely missing this. We're thinking, oh, they have it all together. They do not have it all together. I could tell you almost no teenager has it all together. They all need somebody to listen to them. They all need somebody to understand the pressures that they're going through and to help them. Absolutely. And even, and, and what I find now 
and this is really kind of a travesty to me, is I find that there are even fewer resources available in academia for these younger kids because of, oh, well, you know, we have to cut the school budget. Oh, we can only afford to have X number of whatever, teachers, paraeducators, whomever. I find that and I live rurally, I live in a small town. So, you know, our dollars may not be the same as a, a, a bigger municipality, but I still see this, the problems and the issues of how do children and teens access a place where they can be seen, they can be heard and all of it without a sense of judgment of, well, do it this way or do it that way or change this or change that, or, oh, you know, you're, you're being dramatic or whatever, all the phrases that we used to hear, I feel as if there's even less of an accessible venue for the kids now, even though we have a greater exposure to potential sources or resources for assistance through through what you can access on the web. But I feel it's it's almost like a double-edged sword. It's like, sure, there's the capacity to find resources and tap into things, but the structure of, I'm going to call it separation versus unification, people people moving away from others, out of community, out of connection, out of collaboration, and more into, I'm in my own world, me in my little electronic box. And that's how I learned to communicate and cope. As an old lady, it frightens me because I'm thinking, holy smoke, you know, these these are the young adults that are going to be ultimately needing to make their way through the world as as grown-ups and older adults and their toolbox is empty. And that that yeah. is frightening. So you to bring me. up a lot of a lot of interesting points in that. So I think it depends on where you are in terms of the school and what they have available in terms of resources. I know um, my children's school, it now looks like a mental health clinic with how many staff members we have on. Um, the amount of money that is being spent on mental health is through the roof and it's not making a difference because you're missing the whole root cause here. So the schools, I'll take my kid's school for an example. You know, I live in the suburbs in New Jersey. They have put so much money into resources. They have hired so many therapists. They have, it, it looks like a mental health clinic at this point. They are having presentations constantly. Yet, they are still assigning weekend homework. Like, what are we doing here, people? They need they need time off. They need a break. They are still not giving them a sports schedule in advance, which means, by the way, that if a child is seeing a therapist, they can't book their next session because they don't have their sports schedule. Like, it's these simple little things. You're still walking into schools and they're still disgusting school lunches. Soda. Like we're not taking care of them. Gym class could be used for yoga, for something that could actually make these kids feel good. There's so many studies on yoga and gym class and how it lowers the rate of depression. But again, instead we're having like run days and telling these kids you have to run without stopping. Like, hello, torture. Like we're not, so they're investing all this money, but they're not fixing the root problems. So, so why do you, you think that is? Problems, it's harder you- to fix the root problems. So do you think that the, the do you think it's just it's harder to fix the root problems or do you think there's actually at, at whatever level, whoever, whatever the level is, that there's a lack of awareness that I mean, let's get really basic. Mind, body, spirit. OK, yes. truth being, we are a thinking mind in a physical body connected to a soul, heart, essence, spirit. 
hence also connected to what's outside of us in this world. But let's just make it super, super simple. Mind, body, spirit. Well, if you only, if you only work on one component, it's sort of like saying I have two flat tires on my car, but I'm only going to change two. Well, you're still not going to go down the road straight. You're still not going to get where you got to go. So I guess my question is, I think you and I are on the same page. We need a good foundation. And and I'm very much, so when I, I read your webpage, you know, you talk about holistic healing. And I really wanted to put a W in front of the, the H really, because I'm like, oh, it's not holistic. It's holistic. Like we... Yeah we need to address all components of the foundation, the mind, the body, the spirit, you know, the body feed, feed your child appropriately. Don't give them soda at lunch, feed their mind, not just with memorize this book because you're getting a test next week, but encourage them to be creative, to think beyond what they see, to tap into, you know, limitless possibility, teach them how to, to do that emotionally support them that they are here explore Mm -hmm. create be because then you get kids in college and they go I don't know what I want I don't know what brings me joy right because you haven't explored it right you have not explored it we haven't given them that chance so as much money as the schools want to pour into mental health if they don't come back to the basics it's like they're creating part of the problem and then trying to fix it by dumping money in and it's not going to fix it so from a from a clinician's perspective, and this is a little bit off the rails from from where I was about to go to next, but I'm just, you know, I just have like the 10,000 minds want to know, all my minds want to know, you know, the money gets dumped into the school. It gets voted on by the public to dump the money into the school. But there's got to be a disconnect somewhere where the the information of we're thrilled you're putting money in. However, you're putting money in a direction that is not necessarily reaping a benefit. So at what level do you feel like we, we, the public, we, the parents, we, the therapists, the whomever can start to somehow convey that the place that the monies need to be initiated through for these programs isn't put a patch, put a Band-Aid because here's your symptom. It's let's really find out what's creating your symptom and f- and fix it at that level. So how I think do we com- start that? I think that comes down to an educational standpoint in terms of the parents, because I don't think the parents know what to fight for. I don't think they understand the root problems. Things in theory sound good. It sounds good to hire five more therapists. Yes, great, wonderful. Our, our school's doing so well. Okay, but we need to get back to the root cause. And I don't think the parents are seeing that. And I, I don't think the schools honestly are either, or maybe they don't want to, I don't know. But I know that every once in a while, the schools around me, they have um, a mental health break on a weekend, which means they, the kids can't get homework, which is great, right? It should really be like that on every weekend. Those kids come into my office the next day and they're like, I feel so good. I'm so relaxed. I cooked like a nice dinner one night because I had nothing to do. I experimented with this recipe. They're able to actually do something, find their joy. One went for a hike, all this great stuff instead of just doing homework all weekend, which is just stressing them out. In the workforce, we talk all the time about boundaries. You need time off. You can't work 24 seven. 
I don't know why we're expecting these kids to work 24 seven. It frightens me, even in our little community, when you were saying about the athletic schedule, our mm-hmm. schools, literally that schedule contain it can change within 24 hours or 12 hours. Yes. And all of a sudden, moms and dads are getting these emails like, oh, we've just changed the field or we've changed the time or we've changed the I don't even know what it is. And the amount of extra stress that it puts on the child, the parent, the work environment, because all of a sudden, hey, I got to go or or whatever, or I can't go to Susie's game or whatever that may be. I see it there. The other thing I I hear from coworkers is the the entire system of how do we combine things like athletics with academics, I find very bizarre. I find we have these kids who are in these quote unquote playoff events and whatever. They are playing on weeknights, school nights until 9 and 10 Mm -hmm. p.m. And then they have to be up and done with their homework and at school the next morning. So now they're not eating proper meal. They're not getting proper Mm -hmm. rest. They're clearly not getting their homework completed. So now it snowballs into the next day where they're overtired, underrested, probably poorly nourished, anxiety. They don't have the task completed. And this continues and it continues and it continues. And it just seems very odd to me. That is exactly what the problem is. Mm -hmm. As you just described it, this snowball that we've now started. And, and, and I do see, you know, I understand from either the the parents or the school, like, oh, recreation would be really great for the kids. It's good for them to be physically active. You know, they really need the social engagement and learning team skills. I get all that. But when you provide that at the expense of their overall well-being, to what value is that really serving? And, and I ask these questions, I will tell you in full transparency, I do not have children in the school system. I was definitely your type A kid. Don't come home if you're not coming home with an A. There you go. You know, play 16 different sports, but don't forget you got to have an A. Oh yeah, by the way, we need you to go to college because that's how you get better in the world. So all the things that you're told over and over and conditioned to as a child, because what do you know? You don't know any better. You bring this forward And your statement of, I think it's because parents don't know, I have to say, yeah, I agree. Because what does a parent know? A parent knows what they were brought up with. And that's the system that they were brought up with. And I hate to say it with all due respect to all our educators, because thank God they're there. It's not my field, but thank God. I think the system's broken. It is. I feel like the system's really broken. And and I find it painful because I feel that who really loses out at the end of the day is the kids. Yeah. And, you know, along with all of that, there's also this part of keeping up with the Joneses. Mm. Well, their daughter is on club soccer at the age of eight. Shouldn't ours? What people put the brakes on, put the brakes on. I mean, the world of sports has gotten to be out of control. And you're right. There is there's a place for it. It's great to get the physical exercise. It's great to be engaged with the team. We have taken it so far on the other end. I mean, when I tell you I have, you know, 10, 11 year olds where I'm working who are traveling four to five hours on weekends for tournaments, this is ridiculous. At some point, a parent needs to say, no, no, I'm not doing this. It's true. The parents aren't saying no, because all the other parents are doing it. It's like that one parent needs to stand up and just say, this is ridiculous. 
it is ridiculous when you think about it. I think there's so many levels to it. it. It would be so simple to say one parent needs to stand up and say, no, this is ridiculous. We're not doing it. Part of the reason I feel they probably don't is one, it's absolutely keeping up with the Joneses. But two, yeah. it falls right back down to the same thing our teenagers are dealing with, which is I'm afraid to be judged. Oh, am I going to be the parent that speaks up and then I'm the jerk because my kid isn't going to be able to play on the team if I don't drive five hours each way. Oh, and now my kid's going to be like, oh, now all the kids think I'm a jerk because you wouldn't let me go to the game. So it's very, it's very multifaceted. It's, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. so embedded and intertwined in so many other emotional events in a person's life, whether it's a child or an adult, this whole concept of self-worth and judgment and do you use your voice that you know you've been gifted with to speak up for what is right that you really firmly believe in or do you fall prey to all the fears that every teenager has which then becomes all the fears that every adult lives with until such time as they start to unpack unravel unchain and do those things so i think this is my segue into your book. I would love to talk about your book for a couple of minutes about what it is, how we can help teens and parents have a viewpoint, a perspective, maybe just a fresh eye on how could we start to provide a good foundation for our kids. So take it away. Yes. And actually, you know, you're when you talk about that parent standing up in my book, I write about standing up because my daughter, I have four children. One of my daughters wanted to competitively dance and all of her friends were doing it. She was nine, by the way. And all of her friends' parents were like, oh, she's got to do it. She's got to do it. It's great. It's wonderful. And I fell to the pressure and I let her try out and she made it. And then I got the schedule and it was every Friday night. So for my family, every Friday night, we actually go away after school. We have a lake house and it's our time to connect and bond and get back to like just family and nature. And I looked at that schedule and I said, no, no, we're not giving up our family weekend so that you can competitively dance at the age of nine. And I made that decision. And that was a decision I should have made from the very beginning, but I was definitely, you know, I'm a parent. I've swayed by others. And then I came to my senses and said, no, you're not doing it. And my daughter did not speak to me for three days. She was that angry with me, but as a parent, I need to put the brakes on and that's what I did. So I talk about that actually in the book, but my book, yes, for parents, it's really helping them build up that foundation and look at life almost to like validate what they know deep down. They know it. Like a lot of parents know this. It's that we forget it in the day-to-day craziness and shuffle of everyday life. So it's broken into five physical and five mental health foundations. And the physical ones, you know, your water, your sleep, food, exercise, meditation, it's how to put that back into your household. Because again, when we're just running, 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 we forget to slow down and go, wait a second. Did nobody drink water today? Yeah. Yeah. No one probably did. (laughs) Wait a second. Family dinner is really important. How do I get that back into play? Family dinner is so important. There's so much research on it. Um, And I go into all of that as well. But it's how do I put this stuff back? I know it's important. All parents will tell you, yeah, it's important that they eat well. It's important that they move, but we're not doing it. 
So it's how do we get it back? Why it's important. And then the mental health foundations are, they're more challenging, but it's about, you know, being able to say no as a parent and why that's important. And my favorite one is being able to let go and let your kids do things on their own. We have become a generation of helicopter parents and it is not helping. I have children that are going off to college where I work and they, I kid you not, have never cooked a meal in their life. And their parents are like, they're going to set something on fire. They're going to, you know, they're going to ruin it. You got to let them try. You have to let them try. Like we have to think that they are capable of sending an email to a teacher without us intervening, that they are capable of, you know, driving from here to here when they have their license without us intervening. Like we have to let them know that we believe in them because then we have all these kids with no self-esteem. And it's like, well, if your parents can't even, don't even believe that you could cook a meal at 16, why would you have good self-esteem? Why do you, why would you think you're capable? You know, I have parents who are like, you can't send an email to the teacher unless I read it over. Why? Let them try. Let them try. We have to be able to let them try. I love this. And I think so, parents forget. Yes, I, I really love yes. this. So I'm going to share a story with you for a gal, a friend of mine. She was originally in child social welfare services for many, many years and has since moved on to other things. And she is a trauma recovery specialist and an EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques Advanced Trauma Practitioner. And we can get to that at some other point. But anyhow, the long and the short is, we had a great conversation and she said to me, one of her wake-up calls, aha moments for her in her clinical practice that actually was an impetus for her to move on to showing up in a different way was that she realized by taking over for the kids, by doing the things for them, by not letting them trip up, let's say, by not believing and trusting in their own power, she was actually taking their power away from them in that it, it, we don't see it. You know, it's not like we wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm taking my kid's power away because I'm going to make sure I reread the email before they send it to the professor. You know, we don't do it with any malintent or even conscious decision-making. Like I'm going to, you know, helicopter mom, my kid, and take away their personal capacity for owning their own power. Because the reality is we all come to this earth with the innate capacity to be okay, to do the thing. Despite the trauma, despite the drama, despite the horrible things that do go on in the world, and as well as the good things that go on in the world, but every human being has the capacity to be all right. And when we either enable or martyr ourselves or victimize in some way, or hang on so tight because we're afraid, oh my gosh, can they can they really ride the bike without me holding on to the seat, whatever the thing is, in that through the through the trueness of our heart and our desired love, it kind of gets shifted and changed to you're taking their power away. You're not enabling yeah. them to be who they are. And it comes from a place of love from these parents, 100%, but it's just a place of love and fear. It's also that fear. What if they fail? We have to believe that if they fail, especially with the smaller stuff, they're going to learn from it. They're going to pick themselves back up again. I tell a hysterical story in my book about me telling a parent that their child is completely prepared to go to college, except for the fact she can't do her own laundry. 
the pushback I got about her doing her own laundry. She can't figure it out. She's going to ruin her clothes. This is like a straight A honor student who works a smartphone. She could figure out a, a washer machine. They did not believe in her whatsoever. They actually, it was so much pushback. They never came back to my office um, because they would not let her do her own laundry. They were so afraid of her ruining it. So let me ask you this. I feel obviously, you know, the generation of the overprotective, keep the kids in the bubble. It's almost like a 180 degree swing, truthfully, from, from my years as a teenager. I was the teenager who at age 10, my mother basically said, all right, when you get home from school, do this, 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 and this. Have dinner ready on the table at this time. I'm expecting that you're going to not have a party in the house or whatever. We expect you to do X, Y, and Z because we know you're capable of it. Now, granted, you didn't want to do it wrong because that was a problem, but you did the thing. Whereas what I see with our kids now is they don't even do the thing. They are never given the opportunity to do the thing. And so now we've created a generation of not just kids that don't know how to do the thing, but there's no desire. There's no ambition to be curious, to explore, to learn, to improve. It's kind of like, well, there's nothing in it for me sort of attitude. Well, it should just come to me. I don't need to do the thing. It should just show up. It's a very different mindset, which I i mean, I could go on forever about why do I think it's a different mindset? And that part doesn't really matter. But where I'm kind of going with my question is, are, are parental aged people with the teenage kids that are doing everything because they're afraid to let Susie do her own laundry because, oh my God, she might wreck her t-shirt. That screams to me that part of the foundation building isn't just build this in your child. It's maybe you need to start building this for yourself. Like maybe part of the question becomes, why is this an issue for you? What are you really saying that you don't want Susie to learn how to do the laundry? It's really not about her breaking the machine. It's really not about her ruining her t-shirt. What is it really about? And so again, I almost feel like there's this little disconnect between we can see clearly the kids need a foundation we can see clearly they need to have certain skill sets available to navigate life and life's challenges and where is it coming from well the answer obviously would be well it should start with the parents but here's where i feel the disconnect the parents don't necessarily have the good foundation because they don't honor and value the value of the foundation for themselves. So therefore the value of that component for their kids doesn't take a priority. Prime example, I know my kids should really eat better. I know I really shouldn't buy them box, blah, blah, blah at the store, but I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. So therefore the kids get frozen pizza or or whatever the scenario may be. I hear that. However, perhaps instead of let me buy a frozen pizza, because it's fast, easy, and I don't want to really deal with the real thing, which is my kids are eating like crap, is what do I need to do for myself to improve my own well-being so that I don't feel so burnt out that I got to feed the kids frozen pizza instead of real food? (sighs) Yes. I know. One of the biggest issues that you just touched on is these parents because they're trying to do so much, they're exhausted Mm -hmm. and they have horrendous boundaries. They're saying yes to everything. 
it's like these, I'm going to talk about moms, especially because it's especially on moms. They feel like they have to be perfect in the workforce as a parent, as a friend, and they're doing and doing and doing, and they're not saying no. They feel like they can't. And let me tell you, children are picking that up. And then they're also having poor boundaries and saying, yes, 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 when they need to be saying no. But they're seeing their parents completely stressed out and burnt out. And I tell the parents all the time, you have to say no. You have to value your own time. You have to put up your boundaries. You have to know that you are good enough, that you don't have to prove yourself to everyone else, that you are doing enough. And whenever we're talking about self-care, when it comes to the kids, the parents have to be modeling it. You can't tell your child not to be on the phone all the time and they look over and you're playing Candy Crush on the phone all the time. You have to model what's appropriate. You have to model boundaries. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I so hear, you know, I would like to like shout it from the rooftops. The best way for someone to learn something isn't through words, isn't through knowledge. Don't get me wrong. I love having conversation. I'm a talker. I love exchanging information and talking philosophy and learning new things. Absolutely. However, the thing that is teaching isn't the words, isn't necessarily the book. It is the experience that you will then create or conduct or model or dance for whatever that wording you want to call it. When we express that within ourselves, we mirror that externally so that if we are expressing, I'm overwhelmed, I'm burdened, don't take time for yourself, just eat the pizza, don't respect a boundary, just say yes to everything or no to everything or whatever the thing is, that that way of being, that energetic expression from your being is what is mirrored out there. And what do you think your kids see? They're going to model what you showed them. So I love that you have the guidebook for the parents, because I really think you're writing this book, not necessarily for the kids, although they will ultimately be the benefit thereof, clearly. But I see this as a manual for parents to start to recognize if you want to change what you see, then you need to change in here what you don't see. In order to, you know, we, my phrase is we all have to come home, walk home to our heart, get it right. So that what then is expressed out is the purity and the love that we say and have for our kids, but our actions convey differently. I don't mean to say that we don't love our kids. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we say one thing and do one thing or do another. And the two pieces are not aligned. And I really feel so strongly it's really time to come home to being in the alignment between the head, the heart, the body, all of it, get it all all together. Absolutely. And that's, you know, why I wrote the book for parents to try to have that guide to be able to reflect back into themselves and say, oh, wait a second. Why am I doing that? Okay, let me let me change that. Let me take a step back. And then my second book is actually for the teens. It's a workbook for them based on, you know, my first book. It's so important that people are actually able to do the work. And when we talk about what we say opposed to what we do, that shows up so strongly for these kids, especially these young girls when it comes to food. 
when the parents tell them like, oh yeah, you look great, you look great. And then they look over and the parents are like not eating their own dinner. And the mom is skipping meals. They notice, they notice everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you say as much as it is what you do. Like you have to come back to loving your own body and your own self if you want your child to do that. Absolutely. So tell us where to, one, where do people find you? Tell us where we can find your book. And I have another question after that, but I'll, I'll let you fill in the blanks first. So you could find me. My website is kerrycooperholistictherapy.com. My books are Mental Health Uncensored, 10 Foundations Every Parent Needs to Know. And that is on Amazon. And the other book is Mental Health Uncensored, 10 Foundations Every Teen Needs to Know. And it's a workbook. And that's also on Amazon. I love this. And my wheels are spinning. I'm already thinking like, wow, I wonder if we could get a nonprofit organization of some kind to actually purchase, you know, a quantity of your book and, and dispense it, dispense, is that the word I'm looking for? Hand it out, give it out, you know, allocate it to, geez, I'd love to see it go to every parent of every student in every school, but let's, let's just start on a smaller scale. Maybe it would be really great to have as a resource for the teacher in a school or the principal of the school or the superintendent of the advisory union. Uh, so that the information can then sort of be trickled down and networked out accordingly. So, right. Or wow. to have the workbooks in school through their health classes. Sure. When we talk about health, we talk about everything when it comes yes. to health. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now my wheels are turning and now I just want to like reach out to everybody I know in academia and say, okay, so help me make this happen. How does this work? Yes. Yeah. Because it's all about the knowledge and like, the crisis, the mental health crisis that is happening right now, uh, adults, like we need to, we need to do something. We need to fix this. Our kids are really suffering. And that's why I want parents and kids to have these resources. You don't have to suffer. It can get better. We got to build those strong foundations. We got to let people know that you can feel better. You can be empowered. I think giving it, giving people their power back, feeling empowered, feeling seen, feeling heard, understanding you're not alone, knowing that there, if you would like it differently, you just have to make the decision to make it be different. You have it to make the decision to make it whatever you want to make it. Absolutely. You are a breath of fresh air, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I love this. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Gosh, what another great, important conversation to bring awareness and shine the light on the shift in mental wellness, social pressures, and anxiety, especially in our education system for our younger children and teens. For parents and educators, you will find the books by Carrie available on Amazon. I'll leave you the titles in the show notes, as well as how to contact her on her website and her IG handle. Of course, you can always follow me in all the spaces and places, which I'll also leave in the show notes for you. And I would ask that if you can, please leave a review and or a five star indicating that you are enjoying the podcast. This will help push it forward in the algorithm so other people can listen and enjoy it as well. Feel free to tag a friend so that they can follow along. And if you subscribe, you'll be notified when the new episodes come out weekly so you won't miss anything. I'm pretty excited to share with you that I also am doing a monthly virtual meetup. It's called Unconditionally You. There's a link to that that I'll also put in the show notes. And I just want to thank you all so much for showing up, for listening, for taking time out of your schedule to 
honor yourself and honor those that you love by gaining valuable insight into how walking ourselves home to our heart and leading a much more harmonic and balanced existence against all the typical day-to-day struggles will really help us to elevate our journey here on earth. So once again, as always, I'm sending you so much love and stay tuned.